Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Harrington as he shares this week's message. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, as we continue with Jesus' journey to Jerusalem and his appointed time at Calvary. <clears throat> Today, as we said earlier with the children, is we're looking at the God of the possible. In Luke chapter 18, 19-31, before we jump in, there's once again, we're going to see as we open this passage is that the words of Jesus are going to ruin someone's life, dispel their dreams and ruin their aspirations. Don't you love it when you go to somebody for advice or to share them some some good news only to have them shoot you down? You ever had that? Hey, I think this is a great, I want to do this. And someone says, no, I don't think so. Now, that won't work. You know, no one likes that. We always like to be affirmed, especially in this day of age. We want affirmation and confirmation. I know some people who believe that is their gifts. They're to shoot down things. Where were they when Montana had a balloon over them? But I don't know. But they're, they're just people who love to shoot you down. They live for that. They're like the sharpshooter in a carnival gallery popping balloons with an air gun. In today's passage, we'll revisit a real-life encounter between Jesus and a rich young man who is seeking eternal life. But last week, just again to put ourselves in the right mind frame, we we considered the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, two men going to pray. We see a big contrast between the two. Jesus used this story to illustrate the folly of self-righteousness and the need for humility. Pride leads to a fall. To approach a holy God, we must come before him with a humbleness and a childlike trust with confidence that our Father yearns to hear our prayers and desires to answer our petitions. But as we come now to Luke 18, 19, in today's passage, Luke records an encounter that Jesus and disciples have with a rich young ruler who approaches Jesus with an important question that everyone needs to ask. However, the answer leaves him deflated and sad and very sorrowful. So with that, hopefully you have your Bibles, Luke 18. The first part is going to be on the screen Looking at verse 19 through 21, and a ruler asked him, speaking of Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, he responded, this young man responded with these confident words, all these I have kept from my youth. Father, oh, if we could just say the same things. But Father, our hearts betray us. Our mind knows better. We have chosen not the things of you, but things that satisfy self. And Father, you have delivered us from that. I pray that everyone who is hearing my voice has heard your word, has ascended to the facts and have responded by putting their trust in you. If not, Father, I pray that they will do so before the end of this message. 
But Father, we just want to listen to this, uh, this message with, with ears that are open, with spiritual ears and spiritual eyes that are open, attentive to hear what you have for us, and that the Holy Spirit may have full reign in our hearts and minds, that we may respond to this encounter much differently than this young man. Thank you for your goodness and your love and for your word in Luke's gospel. May it just continue to encourage us, strengthen us, rebuke us, and challenge us all at the same time. In your name we pray. Amen. Theologian Walter Wessel says, Children in their receptivity and dependence exemplify the characteristics of those who possess God's kingdom. In other words, only those that respond to Jesus with total trust can enter into the kingdom, inherit eternal life. When we're using the phrase enter into the kingdom and inherit eternal life, and even the phrase the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, these are all synonymous. It is all the same thing. Many times, just as a side note, just so we, if anyone has this uh, misunderstanding, is that we think of heaven as some ethereal, you know, eternal home up there in the clouds. But what we're seeing is eternal life is going to be here on terra forma, a new heaven and a new earth. That's what scripture teaches us. We will be back into the garden where all things are made new. So all these things are synonymous. So when I say inherit eternal life and enter the kingdom of God, you'll hear me use both of those terms. That's what this young man is asking. That is what our desire, that is our hope. In other words, only those who respond to Jesus again with a total trust can enter into the kingdom. The spiritual truth that Jesus has been teaching is that we must come willingly to Christ, trusting that Jesus receives us with open arms. And so that the Father may give us the good gifts based on His grace and not our works. That's what we've been seeing. Yet as we continue in Luke's gospel, we see another divine appointment where Jesus has the opportunity to share with a young man who is deluded into thinking that he has earned the right to enter into the kingdom of God. In this case, the young man has a good desire to inherit, to inherit eternal life, and he comes to Jesus seeking his blessing and assurance that he will receive this wonderful gift. The question that we might ask is he is asking, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is a question, as I said earlier, that all must ask. We must press our family and friends on, do you know how to inherit eternal life? Do you know how to obtain eternal life? Do you know how to enter into the kingdom of God? Many will say, what is that? They may say, well, I have no interest at this point. But that is our persuasion. That is what God has called us to do, is to compel them to come. Some might ask, well, am I good enough? Is this about the social gospel or social justice or presenting a social gospel? Is it being just good enough, doing the right things, trying to add up and, and put more weight on one part of the scale rather than the other? The spiritual truth that we're going to learn from this passage is that salvation, the kingdom of God, eternal life, is a totally a work of God. Our salvation to inherit is totally a work of God. It doesn't really matter when it comes down to what we have done in this respect to uh, uh, all these nice and good things that we should do, moral things. It's about whether or not we have trusted in the Father. Now, I want to give you five, I believe, observations from this verse if you're taking notes. Number one, 
We, we need to recognize that everyone is searching for something more in this life. We understand that. Everyone is searching for more. This man, this young man says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now you may say, wait a minute. Last week you said that it was written that in both the Old and New Testament that none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks after God. That is true, however. Scripture also tells us that God has put eternity into the heart of man. They are looking for something more. They recognize that there is something missing in this life, in their life. They just don't know what it means. Is that what this means, though, that we may have all that we want. We may have all the physical things on earth and all the things that satisfy. And though we may enjoy life, we still know that there is something, excuse me, (coughs) missing in our lives. We're searching for something greater, something that gives us a greater purpose. Matthew, in his telling of this encounter, tells us that this man was young, while Luke tells us that he was also a ruler. Hence, why most of our Bibles give this passage the heading of the rich young ruler, or that's how many of us come to know the story. In my mind, I believe that this young man may have recently inherited his wealth and position. This is not something that he has uh, built himself most likely with the passing of his father, he inherited a great wealth. My opinion is that after securing his inheritance, he uh, is securing his inheritance on earth. His now, his now his mind is set on the next le- uh, life. You notice he doesn't ask how to earn eternal life, but to inherit it. As a Jewish man, a, a Hebrew, a descendant of Abraham, he is aware of God's promise to the children of Abraham. And he wants to be assured as a child of Abraham, he wants to be assured of his next step. He believed he is entitled to eternal life. It is part of his heritage, his inheritance. However, Jesus is going to demolish that way of thinking very quickly. Maybe some of you here today are also looking for something or you have families and friends that are looking for something. They're looking to satisfy whatever yearning may be there. And so many times we take so many different ways to get it. We think it's riches. We think it's investment and retirement. We think it's in pleasure experiments. It's in all these other types of ways to satisfy ourselves. But yet we still wind up hungry. Whether you're here this morning, let me tell you, it's, it's Jesus who is the bread of life. Who can feed you with that which takes away that hunger and that thirst that we might have of that living water. And so it's important for us to understand that when you are speaking, whether it's you yourself that's here this morning, I'm speaking to you maybe as someone who hasn't accepted Christ. Or maybe here you may have made a confession or you have a family or friend that has not. They are looking, searching for something. We need to recognize that we have the the, the message for them. We have what it is they're looking for or what they're missing, I should say, in their life. The second observation from this story is that self-righteous is not enough to make one right with God. Self-righteousness, our own works are not enough to make us right with God, to, to make us declared right with God. Jesus asks, why do you call me good? In essence, he's asking this young man if he knows what that word even means. Do you believe that I am God? Are you willing to accept my answer when he says, do you not know that only God is good? We don't understand what this young man meant by that. 
It could have been just a way in which he's just trying to butter up Jesus to get the answer he wants. But in response, Jesus lists six of the Ten Commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And all of these commands have to do with loving your neighbor. The second greatest commandment as Jesus taught. It's part of what you and I call the second tablet of the law. As you think of the law of Moses being two, ta- two tablets. One is loving God. The second is loving our neighbors. The young man responds in verse 20. He says, I have kept all of these from my youth. Now, that's a bold statement. I'm not sure there are too many people who can do that. I mean, you can go down to Huntington Beach like uh, uh, Ray Comfort does and go to the beach. And he can pretty much very quickly find those who think they're good. He asks them these questions. And then even they will admit that they have not kept them. But this young man, I've, I've done all these things. In his view, he has done so. In his mind, he was righteous. He was good enough. He was ready to inherit. He is is one who has earned that right. Now, we must remember as we read this that we are on this side of the cross. We have a more complete revelation of God than this young man might have had. And as we've seen with the Pharisees' interaction with Jesus, they believed that the law was only for, or they believed that the law was for outward obedience. It was just something that they were to do on the outside. However, Jesus corrected that opinion, that word view, and he taught that outward obedience without heart obedience is worthless. This young man thought he had, he might have thought he obeyed perfectly, not realizing that before God, his heart actually condemned him. Jesus responds to his testimony by responding in verse 22, there's one thing that you lack. And you can imagine his ears pricked up. Well, what is it? That's that one thing I want to have. So he says, sell all that you have, distribute to the poor, and you have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. There's the words of Jesus that can ruin anyone's dreams and aspirations. Sell all that you have, distribute to the poor. Lay it all down and come and follow me. Mark records in his gospel that Jesus looked at this man with love. And I think this is important. I only mention Mark's gospel in this because love requires you and I to speak the truth rather than confirm that someone is a good person. And too often we want to do that. We want, in our sharing the gospel or, conf- or, or looking to share the gospel, and many times we want to just confirm and affirm to someone that you are a good person. But we need to recognize that The Bible says, no, only God is good. A failure to do so condemns one to a godless eternity. Jesus could have said, well, well done. Go on your merry way. But no, he loved this man and he wanted to share with him the truth. Also in this, we see that sincerity is not enough. Sincerity is not enough. This young man was sincere. He truly wanted to know how to obtain that which is missing. He desired it. it. He truly thought that he was doing right and obeying God. But Jesus exposes what is missing in this young man's life. It's the first commandment. It's to love God above all things. It is not to make any idols. The first commandment is you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. 
You might recall that earlier in Luke that Jesus had warned, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospel will save it. Jesus is doing here a heart check with this young man. He is doing an attitude readjustment. He's, he's trying to put up to this man, this mirror is what you love is not God or your neighbor, but yourself. R.T. France, a theologian, writes that what Jesus requires of this man is a full renunciation of his possessions and a total change in lifestyle. What Jesus here is doing is asking for radical recommitment. It was time for this young man to count the cost. But unfortunately, Luke tells us in verse 23 that the young man became very sad. Do you see that? For he was what? Extremely rich. Extremely rich. In Mark's gospel, we read that he was disheartened by the saying. And he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He was very sorrowful. Why? Because he had great possessions. He was extremely rich. He did not want to lose that which he had just gained. It was his, and he was going to hold on to it with all of his might. In essence, he really showed where his treasure was. It wasn't going to be stored up in heaven. He treasured money more than he treasured eternal life. <clears throat> And that's the question I ask you and for many others. What is it that you truly treasure in life? What is it that you treasure? And you may say, well, I treasure the things of God. Well, then if we were to do a, a, a real just quick check, let's, let's look at your social media. Let's look at your date book, your calendar. Let's look at your, your checkbook, your finances. Let's look at your time. Is it shown by doing the things of God, shown by loving God? Or is it filled with all of our activities that we do to satisfy ourselves? Is our finances used to satisfy ourselves? Or have we gone above and beyond to serve others? That's really what it comes down to it. Is do you and I truly love God? Do we truly treasure him with all that we have? Is there things in your life that you refuse to give up? God can have this, but I'm keeping that right there. You know, think of it as, a, as an apartment. Maybe you have some old furniture. But this furniture is so comfortable. You love it. Now imagine just a, a simple analogy. Jesus comes in. He's coming into your heart, right? And that, that living room kind of represents your heart. And he starts throwing out all that stuff that's no good. I'm going to give you a new couch. I'm going to give you a new this, a new that. But you say, no, no, that's, that, that chair right there, that's mine. I want that beat up sofa. It's comfortable. I like it. I want to be there. And you refuse to allow anyone to move that sofa out. But God says, no, that has to go. That one sin, that one desire that's outside of his control. Because we want to control it. We want it. Thirdly, it's impossible to earn our own salvation. Everyone's searching for more. Self-righteousness is not enough. But it's also we need to recognize it is impossible to earn our own salvation. We cannot earn it. Look at verse 24. Jesus makes a statement that shocks his audience. 
how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And once again, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter into the kingdom of God. This reflects the words of Jesus in the parable of the soils, where he teaches seeds. Remember, seeds were the word of God. He says there are seeds that are sown among those who hear the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. This young man was a living example of that truth. The Jewish people believed that wealth was a sign of God's favor and blessings, as in some cases it is. But just like many people today, they wrongly believe that always wealth is a sign of God's blessing. We see that today. The more money you have, the more you think God is, is blessing you. We have churches and pulpits and, and whole denominations that that's their whole, that's their whole stick, right? Is, is just health, wealth, and prosperity. But we need to be careful of that. The Bible says it's difficult to those who have wealth to enter in the kingdom of God. And then Jesus doubled double down, double, double downs by also telling his disciples in verse 25, look, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, some have tried to tame this teaching down or to try to explain it away because of its impossibility. I don't know if you've ever heard this maybe when you're younger, is that the eye of a needle. So can a camel go through the eye of a needle? Anybody here ever uh, sow someone who sews or ever tried to take a, th a, th a thread and put it through a needle? Very difficult, is it not? I mean, it's very, very difficult. And so Jesus is saying is, is you're going to take a big old camel and you're going to put it through the side of the needle. And, and, and before we see that's very impossible, right? So people have tried over the years to tame this down and to change it and say, well, really, the eye of the needle was this little gate, you know, think of Jerusalem or a city. And they had big gates where they would let people in during the day. But at night, they closed the gate for protection. But however, they would know that some people would arrive at night. So that there was a smaller door, and it was called the eye of the needle because it was smaller, that people then would come in. However, if someone was coming in with their camel, they were too tall. The camel was too big to get underneath that door. So they taught the camels to get down on their four knees, and then the camel would just crawl on his knees and go under the door and then stand up. And so many have taught that's what the eye of needle. It doesn't say it means it's impossible. It just makes it difficult. However, and I, at one time I had a young child, I was doing a chapel at a school and a kid came after me afterwards. Well, my, my you teacher says this. I, it was the hardest thing just to kind of, okay, walk away. But there is no need to try to tame this down or to tamp it down or to make it a little bit easier for us to understand. We need to let the words of Jesus stand on its own. It is impossible to earn our salvation. And we need to stop watering the gospel down or making it such a way in which it's so attractive that people will just say, well, yeah, I'll say a prayer. Just raise a hand. Someone raise your hand. Okay, you're saved. Okay, just repeat after me. And, and we've done these techniques Maybe out of a good heart and a good desire, but yet in the end, many of them walk away with a false confession and a false assurance and believe they've inherited something that they have not earned. What we need to see 
is that salvation is not something we can earn. Number four, salvation is only attainable as a gift from God. So it is obtainable, but only as a gift from God. Continuing in verse 26, we read the disciples' exasperating question when they hear this and say, well, if, if it's the, harder than a camel going through, a, through the eye of the needle, then they said, who then can be saved? Because there is no way you are getting a regular-sized camel through the eye of a regular needle. It is impossible. It cannot be done. But here's the spiritual truth that you must know, understand, and embrace. David writes in Psalms 37 that the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. It is God who ordains salvation. It is Jesus who took our sin as our substitute, who bore the wrath of God for the penalty of our sin and lived a perfect life that obtained the righteousness that is then graciously given to us. It is the Holy Spirit that moves by replacing that stony heart with a new heart filled with a love for God and guarantees our inheritance of salvation. It is not a litany of our good deeds and good attitudes and good aspirations and motivations. We could not do it. We cannot obtain it. We cannot earn it. In verse 27, Jesus responds to their exasperation. And this is what you need to underline, highlight in your Bible. What is impossible with man is possible with God. Let me say it again. What is impossible with man is possible with God. In other words, God is the one who can make a camel go through the eye of a needle if he so desired. Only God can take a wretched sinner and redeem him. Only God can ransom the sinner from the power of sin. Only God can deliver a sinner from the presence of sin. Let us be clear in our presentation of the gospel. Let us live a life of gratitude because of that wonderful gift. Let us be motivated to follow Christ because of the gift that he has graciously given to us in his mercy. It's not something we deserve. It's not something we've earned. It is just a wonderful gift that he's given to his children. And number five... The fifth observation from this is that God rewards those who follow him. God rewards those who follow Jesus. Good old Peter wanted to make sure that Jesus knew that they had, in verse 28, given all those things. When he says, see, we left our homes and we have followed you. Do we get to obtain eternal life? Do we get to obtain it? Do, do we get the kingdom of God? Like the rich ruler, he wants to be assured that he will be able to enter into the kingdom of God and inherit eternal life. And after the rich man had failed in pleading his case for an inheriting eternal life, Peter wants to know, are my, or am I going to be successful? Are we as disciples going to be successful? Jesus responds to their sacrifice with a great promise in verse 29. Jesus says, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time 
and in the age to come, eternal life. God rewards those who abandon all things to follow him. To those who count the cost, find Jesus more treasurable, then God replaces what we have lost or what we think we might have gained from this world. Those things we have given up for him. Those dreams, those aspirations. That is why the church is so wonderful in this, in this, in, in this environment. I just did a little personal testimony. When uh, Dawn and I and the family came out here to go to Brea, when we first came out here to California, we left everything. I mean, pr- practically everything. Not only our family, our friends, the grandpas, the grandmas, uncles, cousins. We left everything. Then here we came out almost with an empty trailer. They said, you know, whatever you need, we'll get you when we get here. We weren't very rich anyway back then. We had a few things. I had a couch, a chair that I wanted. So we bring it out. Next thing I know, the church sets us up. Says, oh, you know what? You need, you need a new suit. Your, your, your kids need new clothes. You, you need this. And they gave us then the things that we needed in our home. You know, a refrigerator, a table. Things that we really didn't bring with us. A few things we had. And they filled us up. But not only that... The most important thing, obviously, was relationships from our other church or the, the, the relatives. But I would tell you, in this church and, and, and the church there, we have found that God has given us grandpas and grandmas, uncles, cousins, and so forth. See, God fills up that which we're willing to give up to follow him. Has everything always been rosy? No. There are times do we miss our family? Yes, we do. However, we see that God replaces that. Now, there's some cases he doesn't do that here on earth, but we do know that he will replace it that one day when we get into heaven. We'll be reunited with our family fully. We may not receive all the good things that we think, but what we recognize is that God gives us good things. And that's why I think the church is important because it reinstalls that. It helps us to understand that we are walking together. We are giving it up together walking together, fulfilling each other's needs. Jesus warned in Matthew 6 to not lay up our treasures here on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And that's where you and I need to do it. It can't be in the nest. I mean, you, common sense, yes. Get an RRA, get a 401, get, get all those things. Take care of your family. Do those things. But in the end, you need to recognize that this is not the goal in life. To have all of that, but to walk away without God, it means you lost everything. We need to recognize that. Jesus is teaching the importance of trusting Christ completely and coming to him empty-handed. Nothing I bring to you. There's an old hymn like that. I can't remember what that hymn is, but nothing I bring to you. This young man trusted in his wealth. He trusted in his identity, his position, his status, his comfort and security were based all on that wealth. However, Privilege, wealth, position, status, comfort, and security now have no bearing on the eternal life. Unless God changed this man's young man's heart, he is now spending eternity outside the good gifts of God. And all that he had is lost. We don't even have his name, just a description of who he is.
Jesus is teaching us. We come now to just understand what he's teaching us here. Jesus is teaching that salvation is a work of God alone, and this leads to a great truth, and I want you to grab this here. Because our salvation is totally of God, there is eternal hope for all who are dead in their sins. And who are dead in their sins? All of us. Everyone born. Recognize again that because salvation is totally of God, there is eternal hope for all who are dead in their sins. We can get that which we desire, that which makes us feel broken and empty. That is Jesus Christ. What we need to recognize is that God's sovereignty over salvation, it was God's plan, it was God's choice, it is God who initiates, and it's God's provision of salvation that gives us eternal hope. We need to recognize that it's God who who has elected us for salvation. It is God who calls us, who draws us to him. It is God who comes and gives us that new heart that we've been talking about in our ACC, is that regeneration. It is God who is declaring that we are now uh, uh, not guilty. He is declaring us righteous. It is God who is adopting us into his family, who is sanctifying us, making us more like Christ and freer from sin. It is God who is preserving us each and every day to follow him. And it is God who will one day glorify us as he brings us into his kingdom. And we are with him for all time. That is the salvation that you and I need to desire, that we need to live out, that we need to share with others. To sum it up, we need to learn that entrance into the kingdom of God is not something that you can earn. It is not something that you can inherit outside of your, or inside yourself, but that the salvation is a miracle work of God. So with that, Let me bring you to three things as we try to understand what we need to do from this. Number one, we need to think biblically about our money and our possessions. We need to think about biblically about our money and possessions. God has not given us money to serve ourselves, but the kingdom. Take your Bible, if you would, and turn to 1 Timothy, if you would, very quickly. This young man thought that money was all he needed. All he needed to do was now add Jesus to it and add the inherited, you know, the kingdom of God. Even driving by this morning, I went by the store and their store, you see the, all the lotto tickets, you know, or the lotto prices. I think it's up to like 371 million or something like that today, something just extraordinary. And, and how, how many of us not just look at that and just, oh man, that would be nice. $2, right? I, I don't know how much it costs. Does anyone know? Can anyone want to out themselves? It's a buck? Two bucks. Two bucks? All right. But you and I need to recognize that we need to think a little bit more biblically about our money and possessions. Many of us are struggling following Christ because of our wealth. Or it may be a lack of wealth that's causing us to struggle. See, it's not about how much you have. We've talked about this before, but it's how we think about our money. Whether it's wealthy or whether we're in what might someone might call poverty it's how we think about our money and our possessions first timothy chapter 6 
He says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be hard, uh, haughty, verse 17, verse 6, or chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, uh, verse 17, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now I would say in the same thing that would go for many who may be struggling with not having any wealth because we're putting our hopes on the uncertainty of that which we desire to meet that which we want. A satisfaction, a selfish satisfaction. Now this is going to be difficult to do, to do here what First Timothy tells us to do. And you and I have to recognize that the values of the kingdom of God, of eternal life, the values of God, is much different than the world. Kingdom living is different. It is difficult and it's decisive, not only to the surrounding culture, but also to the inside culture. There is many of us that struggle with living a life that is generously, sacrificially, intentionally, and cheerfully giving of what God has given us. As we speak about whether it's our money, our energy, our time, our possessions. And we need to recognize that kingdom living is all four of those things. Working for the kingdom of God. It's decisive. Or divisive, excuse me. It's different. It's difficult. Jesus is teaching that everything that you and I own is to be used for the kingdom. However, and I share this with the pastor's heart. Is OVC, are we living that out? Are we living that out? What's more important to us? Kingdom living? God's kingdom? Or just our own? And it's going to show up in many ways. Whether we're here on a Sunday morning. Whether we want to be involved in a small group or not. Whether we're giving of our of our finances and the gifts that we have, whether we're using our time and energy, if we're sharing the gospel, if we're discipling, if we're wanting to learn, if we're reading scripture, all these things. Are we loving God? Are we loving our neighbors? Are we doing both tablets? Are we doing the first commandment and the second? And so I just have to leave it up to you and let the Holy Spirit work in your heart. Are you truly kingdom living? Number two, we need to think biblically about our salvation. Contrary to Oprah and other false prophets, and I'll call her a false prophet. She may not be a pastor, but she truly is a false prophet. There's only one way to heaven. There's not many roads to heaven. And that is through Jesus and Jesus only. Paul writes in Acts 4.12 that there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we might be saved. It's not through our works. It's not through observance of any tradition, sacrament, or any ordinances that we're going to be doing here this morning. Salvation is only in the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We need to recognize that. And then thirdly, we need to think biblically about the church. We are to leave it all 
just as that young man was. And come and follow Christ. Jesus challenged this young man to join his little band of followers, relying on the goodness and the charity of others, depending on others. That's what the disciples had to do. But he couldn't do it. We see this type of heart attitude of sacrifice in Acts chapter 4. If we can turn, well, I think it's here on the monitor. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. It says, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, speaking of the New Testament church in Jerusalem. It said, no one said that any of the things that belonged to them was his own, but they had everything in common. In other words, they followed the words of Christ. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimonies to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was given upon them all. And there was not a needy person among them. Now, that's not saying that there was no one who was struggling. But it says there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. You see, in the church, it's where God meets the needs. It's where he, he answers that, that prayer. He gives us those, those promises that he says, leave it all and I will make sure that you are taken care of. Many times God, God does that in a supernatural way, but many times he just does it through the ordinary grace and gifting of other people who say, let me help you. And I believe we're having a, t- a year, we're gonna, I think 2023, from what I'm reading, is going to be a very tough year. And I want to encourage us, we need to get back into doing the things, you know, giving money to our deacons funds so we can help others. Uh, whether it's, it's buying eggs for other people when we see them on sale, or whether it's, it's buying other things and, and we put them in our freezer or put them in our food storage and so people have need. We, we're, we need to gear that up again. We'll speak more to that later. We need to understand that if you're lonely, if you're struggling in your sin and, and, and trying to follow Christ but find yourself alone, this is the church. These are the people that God has called you to do life together. But so many of us say, well, I'm just on my own. I can do it. But then you're seeing your life just struggling bit by bit, not asking for help. We're putting on the face that everything is good. But our souls are tormented. Let us even give that to God. So that we may obtain that which is much, much greater. You know, let me close with Proverbs 30 as we're just talking about money. This young man could not come to Christ because of what he had. Some don't come to Christ because of what they don't have. They want to blame God. I love this verse. Remove from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my Lord. In all things, let's recognize is that we must not let anything stand between us and our salvation that's given by a gift when we trust a holy God. Salvation is only a gift from him. Let us trust only in that. If every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask Landon to go ahead and come on up for our pastor's prayer. And as we prepare for then for communion, I just want you to take a moment just to pause and consider these words, this passage of scripture.
I pray that there is none either here this morning or listen to me or watch me later that has the attitude of the rich young man who feels like you deserve to inherit eternal life. That because you are good enough, you're, you're okay and you will make it into heaven. For there are none. The Bible says that that is a folly and foolish way of thinking. And it will leave you empty and a cold eternal hell. Well, hot eternal hell, I should say. Left out in the cold. I don't know what I'm trying to say there. But I pray here that if you have come and followed Jesus, then bear it all down. Don't hold on to anything. Let go of it all. Give him gratitude. That's our motivation for following him, for loving him, is because what he has done for us. And may you respond to the Holy Spirit's work. We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.